On first down, the handoff to Marlon Mack. Huge hole, 50-yard line. He's at the 40, still going near sideline. He's at the 10. He's at the 5, and he will score. Touchdown, Marlon Mack. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. And again, it's picked off. It's Darius Leonard. Leonard with a second INT, and he's streaking down the near sideline. He's at the 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He's going to go. A pick six for the Maniac. Kenny Moore gets to Deshaun Watson. That's a sack for Kenny Moore. Kenny has a pick and now a sack in the game. Horseshoe is back, baby. The horseshoe is back. Welcome back to another edition of the Bring the Juice podcast. Joining me, special guest from 107.5 The Fan, Kevin Bowen. Kevin, how are you doing? You were talking off the air about uh, coronavirus and all this stuff. How are you holding up, man, with with wake of all this craziness? Holding up, holding up day by day, certainly. I sound like Chuck Pagano right now, but... um... Yeah, in all in all seriousness, Cody, I'm 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 safe and um, surviving the quarantine life, and really just thinking about all those people in healthcare right now, and people that have lost their jobs through all of this, and um, you know, in my small, 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 small part, and your small part as well, it's nice to give people just a little bit of break of reality from it all. Something I talked about on the podcast earlier this week. Of I think people do enjoy listening, talking, thinking about something a little bit different than. Um, just what what this virus has consumed from our really every waking minute it seems like here over the past few weeks yeah it's crazy man i think it's a really a cool thing um in some ways for people to just be able to kind of slow down for a minute um and obviously been able to uh give people a little bit of content a little bit of colts content here so um it's kind of crazy because obviously this the world has slowed down people are stuck at home but Chris Ballard, on the other hand, he has been very active in free agency, something that we haven't seen from Ballard really in his tenure, um, as opposed to maybe 2017. But I mean, he has been the most active he has been in free agency in a long time. And I kind of wanted to talk about that today, Kevin, a little bit about Chris Ballard's kind of changed this offseason as opposed to previous offseasons in his free agent philosophy. Um, I know you, you've talked about that a little bit on your podcast and stuff like that. I guess we can just lead right into that question. What do you think are some of the factors to why Chris Ballard has really changed his philosophy in terms of, you know, he he's so much stressed, you can't buy a locker room. He's so much stressed, you build by, you know, drafting guys, homegrown talent type of thing. Why do you think the sudden change of kind of his strategy this offseason? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny, Cody. I would say non-Andrew Luck division, the question I've probably gotten the most in the last three years is that question of when will Chris Ballard alter his approach? Why doesn't he spend more in free agency? When will he make a big move? You know, something to that effect. And it was a question that I was always very curious on clear that, you know, feel like there can be a little bit more roster building or just roster supporting maybe um, during the month of March. Um, But I was steadfast and really believing that that would change this year I guess a couple of factors played into it for one um, it is year three of this rebuild and now the fourth off season that he's been at the helm of general manager. And I just think there's a comfortability to what you have with the younger 
um, core of guys like Nelson and Kenny Moore and Darius Leonard. And, you know, you can throw in guys like Anthony Walker and Marlon Mack and, you know, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, whoever else that I'm kind of forgetting right now into that group. But um, just feels like there, there's a little bit of a better base. And again, in Ballard's eyes of the younger support inside of that locker room, which he didn't feel like there was at all early on. I mean, think about all the guys that he let go in that first off season. So I think that was mm-hmm. a big factor. Um, and then secondly, you know, it's a team that finished seven to nine after bringing back 20 of 22 starters. And when you say it's not about one player, i.e. the quarterback and you bring back that continuity, yet you go seven and nine with one of the easier schedules in the NFL, that's a stain and, and that doesn't sit well for him or for anybody in that organization. Um, and then I think Jim Mercer's influence can't be ignored of, wow, four out of five years, like missing the playoff. You know, that's unlike anything he's experienced in his. I think when Ballard kind of factored all of that in, it was like, all right, now is the time with still a lot of cap space. And that long-term quarterback certainly not tied up from a contractual standpoint at all. This was the time to go ahead and you know provide more high quality depth um you know quantity wise and then again more at that top end of the roster having said that there's still been some moves that i didn't see coming at all um but the the act the amount of activity doesn't stun me even though there are a few things that i'm like wow you know i thought they'd be more active but i didn't see this coming yeah you talked about them making some moves that were really unexpected uh, I guess moving to the to the releases here, some of the guys that you know there was a few that were expected, Marcus Hunt, Brian Hoyer, some of those guys, but some of the guys, man, that weren't expected, mainly the one guy I'm looking at is Pierre Desir, who's a guy that, man, when you think of the type of player that Chris Ballard has talked about in terms of what he stands for, what kind of presence he has in the locker room, it was kind of a shocker to me when I saw it. I remember I was traveling home man from I was actually down in Florida and everything went kind of wild and so we had to head back like right at the right time but uh, on the road got that news and was like oh my goodness I was not expecting that one Kevin what was your like reaction to hearing the Colts releasing Pierre Desir yeah I, I would say I had a similar reaction you know every late February early March I look at the roster and mainly look at the cap casualty potential guys And I just think it's always something that every NFL team has a few of those guys on their roster. And, you know, the Colts to was one of the guys I looked at. Nico Autry was probably another one. Obviously Hoyer and Jacoby Brissett were on there as well. Um, But when I kept coming back to Desir, I just thought, no, like he checks the character box. They just gave him a three-year extension. He battled some injuries and played through the injuries. I don't need to name names, but obviously there was a guy on this football team that didn't do that this past season. And that rubbed the staff the wrong way. So I, when I thought more about that and just the fact that Rocky seen and Marvell tell, they were not, you know, all rookie corners. And again, the expectation shouldn't have necessarily been that, but what I'm getting at is just, you didn't have a lot of proven depth at corner and it's such a critical position. I did not think at all that that would happen. Um, And I mentioned this on the podcast that I just recorded on Friday morning saying to myself, you know, is there even a need 
to have parted ways with Desir now that you've gotten Xavier Rhodes as well. In my mind, I would say just let those two play it out, compete, you know, battle it out for an outside corner position. Two 29, 30-year-old guys that, you know, entered the league at similar times and have played at high levels, Rhodes being much higher than Desir, but Desir being the more consistent player over the past few years, especially when, when he was healthy. That's probably the route that I would have taken or would have tried to explore um, because, again, I don't think your cap situation is that dire. And then I also look at it as corner is just a position where one hamstring or one quad or whatever, and that guy gets exposed really, really quickly. Um, so those were some of the factors of why I thought it was a bit of a head-scratching move, N- not to mention just the high-character aspect that Pierre Desir checks and, and just how vitally important that box is for Chris Ballard. Yeah, and Derek and I were talking about on our one podcast breaking down the the Xavier Rhodes signing. Um, maybe this is kind of the idea that Chris Ballard had. This is kind of the idea that I kind of formed in my head. When you look at a, look at a guy like Pierre Desir, and you could look at a guy like Xavier Rhodes. I mean, I feel like we've already seen Pierre Desir's ceiling. I mean, I believe that was the 2018 season where we really kind of saw Pierre Desir kind of come into his own as a corner. And not to mention you extend him three years and then you have to be committed to that. And, um, but then you look at Xavier Rhodes, a guy, I mean, he's a couple years removed, man, from being an all pro, a first team all pro, one of the top corners in the league. Um, I, I don't know. It just makes sense to me that the Colts did that. But um, especially because of the time, I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but you're committing long term when you sign a three, te- three year extension with a guy, you're pretty much committing long term to it, to that type of guy. So I kind of see that move there. Um, do you kind of think maybe that's sort of the underlying, one of the underlying points to why Chris Ballard made this move for Xavier Rhodes? Yeah, I think simply it comes down to they feel like there's a higher ceiling with Xavier Rhodes, which mm-hmm. I, I totally see. You know, 2017, he's an all pro. And Jonathan Gannon, the cornerbacks coach in Indianapolis right now, was um, a defensive backs coach with Minnesota back then and was for really, I think, four of the first five years Rhodes was in the league. So I think that's where they look at it of, okay, higher ceiling guy in Rhodes, um, a guy that's probably been a little bit healthier to Sears bat outside of that 2018 season. Like you mentioned, Pierre to Sears really battled some injuries. Um, Rhodes has been a little bit more durable as well. And I think that's what played into it. And the fact that the Colts aren't going to ask Rhodes to do the same things that Minnesota did. You know, it's not going to be shadow island outside man coverage, 60 snaps a game or something like that. Um, so I, I think that is all kind of factored into this situation. But again, over the last two years, there's no argument to make. Pierre Desir has been the more consistent corner when you pair those two side by side. And as I mentioned on my podcast earlier um, earlier on Friday, it it's comes down to – Yes, there's higher potential, you know, bigger ceiling, whatever, but there's also just a lower floor, and that's the risk that you get at the corner position. Because if Xavier Rhodes plays like the corner that he was the last two years, I mean, that's a penalty-filled outside corner that's not going to help this defense. And now all of a sudden you're having to rely again on, you know, Marvell Tell and Rock Yassine to make significant jumps, and who who knows what Quincy Wilson is going to look like you know, coming, um, you know, in, into his final year uh, uh, of his rookie contract. So 
Um, I, I was still a bit surprised by it, and I will stand by the financial situation of, you know, I think Jasir was owed, I believe, $3 million back on Sunday. You know, to me, you kind of pick that up because I don't look at the Rhodes-Jasir thing and say, okay, Rhodes was released, you know, March 13th. Jasir was cut March 21st. And I, I think these dates are right. I maybe have them off by a couple of days. And then Rhodes was signed March 26th. It's not like one move immediately led to the next move, immediately led to the next move. There was some thinking throughout this multiple days between all of these moves. And in my mind, if the cap money that you released Pierre to see for wasn't going to be used for a big name free agent or a more of a significant move, then why not put both of those guys in the roster and let them battle it out? Because honestly, a depth chart of Desir, Rhodes, and I'm, I'm not in no order, Desir, Rhodes, Kenny Moore, uh, Marvell Tell, Rocky Yassin, Quincy Wilson, you know, okay, you cut Quincy Wilson, and that those five corners are your five corners going in the regular season. That's, that's a decent amount of corners with some depth. You're going to have one guy get hurt during the season. Now you have those other four guys that are going to be kind of your, kind of your main four guys. So um, to me, it would not have, you know, I, I, I still look at corner as a bit of a knee going into the draft or just even kind of a hybrid safety corner um, in, in terms of what you were thinking when it comes to the fall and having to dress guys on a game day. Yeah, I guess my question would be then if you keep both of those guys there, you keep Dizier, you sign Rhodes, do you think that would hurt the development of Rocky Sin or a guy like Marvell Tell, guys who the Colts seemed really high on last year, um, guys that came in as rookies and played significant snaps for you? Yeah, I, I think it's a fair question. Um, I, I will say this, though. I think if you got to the end of training camp and, you know, maybe what we saw with Matthias Farley last year. And, you, you know, mm-hmm. Farley, again, a great guy, such a Ballard character player, all of those things. But there were some young safeties that they liked a little bit better. I think you, you almost go up to a guy like Pierre Desir um, or Rhodes, whoever, and be like, look, we like you, but some of these young guys we think have a bit of a higher ceiling. We're going to play them. You know, do you want to go somewhere else? Do you want to stay here and wait, you know, maybe for an injury while you aren't playing a whole lot? You kind of, you kind of go down that route. That's something that I would like to see or, or like to have seen back then. But yes, from a Rocky scene, Marvell tell standpoint, it is a good thing to talk about and like, are you stunting some of their development? But that gets into the awkward thing of like, all right, if you're stunning development at cornerback, why are you having a 39 year old quarterback? You know, it, it just, it, it gets into this long-term view at one position, short-term view at another spot. I just think that's a delicate situation. And I know full well, there, there, there have been times where I've said, let's go long-term approach at a lot of other spots but it just seems like certainly Philip Rivers is not coming here thinking, yeah, let's play the young guys and develop them a little bit more. No, that's the last thing on his mind. He's saying, let's play the best guy from day one. Yeah, for sure. And, and with these guys, with signing Rhodes now, you know, he's a guy that's been, like I mentioned, 2017 all pro corner. He's played some big games, some playoff games there for the Vikings. What kind of leadership standpoint do you think he brings to the Colts? Because Chris Ballard, at the end of the year, he really talked about how he felt like, especially on the defensive side, it seemed, there was a lack of friction, he called it, right? There was a lack of accountability 
when the Colts were backsliding, when they were losing a bunch of games, went from, I believe it was five and two to seven and nine. What kind of leadership standpoint do you think he brings? Um, and do you think he can hold some of those guys accountable? Say Quincy Wilson, a guy who, you know, has lost confidence at times in himself or, you know, Rocky Asen going to another year. Uh, what do you think kind of veteran leadership he can bring to this defensive backs group? Well, I think first Rhodes has got to worry about himself and, and get himself right. Um, you know, when you've had the two seasons that he's just had, you know, you got to make sure that you can get back to an adequate level of play before you do become this sort of voice. And naturally, I think the Colts hope that'll happen for sure, because, you know, he is by far the oldest, most veteran guy in that room. And I do think it is necessary, especially when you lose a guy like Pierre Desir and but we saw Kenny Moore on social media just really go on and on about what Pierre Desir has meant to him. Um, so, sure, that is a byproduct. Um, I think it, 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 it needs to be something where he can help you out in that area because, you know, Ballard mentioned kind of a few things at, at, at the end of the season. It was um, more veteran leadership on the defensive side of the ball, limit big plays, and more turnovers. Well, Rhodes is really, especially the last few years, has not been a turnover guy at all. Um, he went he high last year in, in, in penalties. Um, so you would hope that, okay, you aren't really sure if he checks those boxes. You know, he, he needs to check that veteran leadership box. But, again, I think he's got to – and I don't want to sound like selfish. Like, he's got to worry about him first. He's just got to get himself right and make sure that he solidifies – his presence is still being, you know, a moderate to better than moderate quarterback in the league because his past two years, he hasn't even been that. Um, so I, I think mm-hmm. that is key for him. And then, yes, a trickle down effect is you do have this playoff experience. You have all these starts. You were a first round pick. Um, can that help and just bring a different perspective into a cornerback room that every single guy outside of Kenny Moore for four months, you know, Quincy Wilson, Marvell Tell, and, um, Rocky scene, they all were uh, drafted by the Colts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned guys who have experience in the playoffs. The Colts signed a couple guys. Um, actually, they traded for one to Forrest Buckner with that 13th pick, which is something we have never seen from Chris Ballard as far as trading away that much draft capital. And then they they signed uh, Sheldon Day, Indiana, former Indiana native there, Notre Dame guy. Uh, so to me, Kevin, these moves are not what we've seen from Chris Ballard. But they communicate to me that the Colts think that they can contend now. And they think, you know, with these one-year deals, with these couple guys, these other veteran guys, they think that they can compete for the playoffs. They think they can compete for a Super Bowl. What do these moves say to you, especially because some of them are kind of moves that aren't typical of Chris Ballard? Yeah, um, I do think there is that win-now approach. And I go back to what I said about Jim Irsay earlier of, you know, four out of five years and missing the playoffs – and, you know, winning one playoff game during those five years, um, you can probably find, I don't know, I'm, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, 18 or 20 teams in the NFL that have had more postseason success in the last five years, whether that's just straight playoff appearances or multiple wins over that time than, than the Colts. And that is foreign territory and very unusual for Jim say in his, you know, 20, 25 years as being kind of the sole owner when his dad passed away in 1997. So I think some of that plays into it of, Hey, while looking at the long term, 
can you also try to improve in the short term as best as possible? And the Colts are in a friendly enough cap situation where they they feel like they can do that with the Rivers acquisition and not looking at the quarterback market this offseason in the draft there at 13 overall and believing that the long-term quarterback answer was necessarily going to come from either of those avenues, you know, trade or slash Teddy Bridgewater and free agency or, you know, one of the whatever top four quarterbacks in the draft here in 2020. So we'll see, you know, we are, we are less than a month away. I I still think the long-term view at quarterback has got to be top of mind. And um, I think you got to take a chance. You got to take a chance in the draft. Uh, Is it the riskiest chance in the world? No, because in all likelihood, it's not going to be a first round pick or a high level first round pick, but it, it, it is a chance. And I think what we've seen around the league in recent years is, teams draft quarterbacks and they draft a lot of quarterbacks and they swing and miss on a lot of quarterbacks. But, you know, the hope is that they eventually hit on one. I mean, just think about all the quarterbacks mm-hmm. the Houston Texans have drafted before they took Deshaun Watson. Now, eventually Watson became one of the higher taken quarterbacks, but you know, it, it's things like that where, you know, it sounds like a pipe dream, but you know, one swing and an automatic home run at quarterback it's probably unlikely. It's something where it's going to have to take multiple swings. And I still think you got to take one of those swings here in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks Kevin for coming on and kind of talking Colts free agency a little bit. Like you mentioned in the draft, just less than a month away. I believe it's about 27 days away now. Uh, so it'll be certainly interesting to see, do the Colts one address their future at quarterback and then two, how would they get some weapons for Phillip rivers and company? So Uh, Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it as always. And thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And as always, go Colts.